Berserker Cast episode number 19, season 5, episode 4, Pope Breaks Bad. Hi, this is Doug Jones. I play Cochise on Falling Skies, but right now you are listening to Berserker Cast. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Greetings, Earthlings, people of the planet, whether this is your home planet or not. I think we're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening, unless you're trying to gain information about us that you can then use against us, at which case, stop. Don't do that. That's not nice. Yeah. We're, we're here to love, peeps. Yeah, that's right. This is, this is a love-only podcast. That's right. Love-only podcast. Only those willing yeah. to donate a kidney-like organ are welcome here. As long as they're vital, and as long as you donate it, you are welcome. <laughs> That's right. Welcome to Berserker Cast. Of course, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. I'm Daryl. And I'm Emily. How are you tonight? I am doing very well. Yes? I've had a lot of coffee, so this should be a very interesting uh, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those of you, we say this every week. They're like, there's some reason that we tell you you should come and be a part of the live show. Today's reason that you should have come and been a part of the live show is emily's pregame was i don't know how to describe it it was it was vocal warm-ups <laughs> it sounded like animal chatter it was it was really quite disturbing and, and i think that must be because you've had too much coffee what does the fox say no i was just you know doing a no okay no Please no. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Let's do what 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 does the Ishvini say? Um or maybe the Volm is more appropriate for this week. Mm. Although, you know, I I'll just say while I'm thinking of it. I I was thinking while we're hearing Doug Jones who is so prevalent in this week's episode and hearing him rattle off all those lines and those names and doing it so mm. fluidly was really spectacular. And then at the point where they go, let's talk in English because that's the language you seem to love so much. I was like, whatever. It's just so Doug can <laughs> can have a break. <laughs> right. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. too. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I only watched the episode twice, but I was thinking about going back and seeing if it sounded like they had actually sped up his voice mm -hmm. because there was, there was a point there when, I've never heard a man speak that fast in English, let alone, well, I suppose other languages, men speak a little bit faster, like Italian or Spanish or something, but Maybe. I, I've never heard a man speak that fast in English, so I was like, there's no way he's talking that fast. Yeah, <laughs> it was impressive. I mean, he still had to pronounce all those words and... and yeah, oh, absolutely. And it was really, really cool. And you know what else was really cool? That this hmm. episode was directed by Peter Leto. Leto. Mm-hmm. And written by Jack Kenny. 
Indeed. Neither of whom I recognize. I was just about to say the same thing, and I didn't go back and look through the archive of episodes to see. Uh, I probably should have, but neither of these gentlemen rung a bell with me either. Hmm. But for me, this was my favorite episode of the season. What about you? Uh, th- you know, there were a lot of scenes that I might say are my favorite of the entire series. Uh, at least one scene. But Really? Series or but season? I, of the series. Wow. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah, but I yeah. really enjoyed it. And especially on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. What was your definitely. rating? I gave it nine conclusion of lifespans. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I gave it, you? I gave it a 8.5. We got the half uh, eaten body of Sarah buried this week. So I went ahead and gave the half point 8.5 shaved heads. Mm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Is that your highest rating of the season too? Or I was think, that what you gave it last week? No, last week was definitely lower. The season premiere might've been that high, but I'm not, I'm not sure, but last, uh, that's the highest I've had at least in the last three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, we both enjoyed it, so this should be an interesting discussion. It should be. You know, you and I were texting back and forth. I think it was a little bit last night and a little bit this morning. And um, it sounded like we were probably going to have some pretty good discussion points. And I even held back. I didn't I didn't say everything I wanted to say because I wanted to. We don't normally talk at all before the, right. the podcast, but I sent you a text and then it kind of went from there. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk about the episode and let's where do you want to start this week? Well, I thought it would be a good reminder to everyone that the phrase to break bad, as Daryl brought up last week, means to raise health. And what I found in various different people describing what it actually means, it, it actually connotes more violence than raising hell does. And when I and, I and I had I had that in mind going into the episode. And so I don't know if my perception was skewed in that way, but I was expecting I guess I think I was expecting what we're probably going to get next week more this week. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, uh, we're actually going to get a real confrontation between Tom and Pope. I would imagine next week. That's that's how the episode ended. And that's kind of what I was expecting out of this then. Not to say that Pope didn't raise hell, <laughs> but uh, but in the connotes more violence manner of speaking. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with that. I think, though, I didn't really expect it all to be resolved in one episode. Um, I mean, I could see where it could have been because we do have a short season. I mean, all the seasons are short with this show, but... Uh, I, I really kind of thought it would, it would linger. What really surprised me, and I don't, it seems so obvious looking back on it. You know, last week our Twitter poll question was who's going to snap first, Anthony or Pope? And it turned out they snapped at the same time together. I mean, kind of, you could say that Pope kind of snapped first, but I didn't really see that snapping. coming. Yeah. And I probably really should have because it just, I think the very nature of us wanting to ask that question, you, you were the one that came up with that. I think probably should have been a clue that it was going to be yes <laughs> to that question <laughs> right. rather than either right. or. Well, I think that's actually what we ended up coming to the conclusion, you know, at the end of that uh, podcast episode saying, obviously they're both going to snap, but yeah. I, I was so, I was, okay, so it's, it's bittersweet, right? A berserker reunion. <laughs> yeah. And at, at the same time you want it to happen, the circumstances you're kind of like, but. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's see. Beginning of the episode, 
a uh, Tom confronts Pope while he's burying Sarah. And I found this to be a very, I don't know, I, it's going to be interesting to hear your perspective on this, especially as a man. But I, I mean, for all that Pope has seen and experienced over the last three years, he pointed out, I don't know. I'm not sure I understand how he can now just unleash all of his frustration. I mean, I guess I understand. I just, how do I say this? Um, we got so used to Pope being the voice of dissent to raising the havoc and voicing all the things that nobody else will say, but, you know, not taking any form of leadership. And we got so used to that for like three years. And then Sarah comes onto the scene and starts asking him, why the heck are you sticking around the second mass? And he starts to realize what he's actually got with this group of people. He's got safety. He's able to kill skitters and he doesn't have to take any of that responsibility. And so last season and into the first couple episodes of this season, we have a completely different Pope. And it seems like the writers were so intentional about setting up this new Pope exactly for this purpose. And so he's essentially going back to the Pope he was in the early seasons, which I think everybody enjoys, <laughs> but it seems so, it, I, th- I think it seems even more unusual to me because of the last season when he was actually starting to come out of that and, and, and understand why he was part of this group. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a fantastic observation. Um, so, I hadn't really thought it through into that into that little hierarchy that you just broke down for us, but I'll I'll go ahead and, and kind of you asked me what my opinion on it was, and I'll kind of t- tell you that and and also where I would kind of see it going. Sure. So, um, I I think th- I think at the end of the day, uh, Sarah was making a huge difference and impact on him, turning him into something that he wasn't. You just it wasn't before you, you or had maybe he was before the. You know, invasion. You just mm-hmm. kind of mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that she's gone, I mean, make fun of the relationship the way that we we did, and others felt, and some people loved it, right? But, yep. but you know, we gave it a hard time, and but f- it was what it was. And for them, mm-hmm. they were great for each other, and she mm-hmm. had an impact on him, and really kind of polished him up in some ways, where he had these really rough edges, or helped him to see something, some things in a different light. All of that's true. Now that that's gone, I think he is just snapping back further th- than he was before. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, in in rebellion as to of, of, of her death, but I think more so than that is just emotionally he is gone. He doesn't know how to deal with this, and mm-hmm. I think that was really one of the lessons or the, or the themes is it probably a better word of this episode, and that is how you deal with death. And there are healthy ways of dealing with death, and there are unhealthy ways of dealing with death. What we saw in this episode, even the little conversation we had between Ben and Anne, but more so between Cochise and Anne, showed us a really powerful, healthy way of dealing with death, and we're certainly Mm -hmm. going to talk about that. On the flip side, you have Pope and Anthony, both of whom are in their current situations of Breaking Bad, because of the way that they are dealing with deaths, Denny for Anthony, Sarah for Pope. And so I think that it served as a nice juxtaposition to some of the other themes that were being shown in this episode. Now, where, where I think it's leading is back around to what you just said. I think 
I think one of two things are, are going to happen and they're completely opposite. One is someone will talk some sense into Pope and he will realize just how as terrible as things are, he's got it good with the second mass. He can be a, a great contributor to what they're doing and their cause and they're better with him when he's with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that is a real strong possibility because of what you just pointed out. He's he has seen that and acknowledged that this season. He even got a little emotional earlier this season when mm-hmm. thinking about the second mass. Mm-hmm. Or number two is that when push comes to shove and uh, Tom arrives to rescue Hal, Anthony and Anthony alone will have a realization of he's he's crossed a line that he doesn't want to cross. And he will kill Pope in defense hmm. of Tom. So that kind of uh, that that little last tidbit was kind of something I was going to re- reveal later, but that's fine. It, it kind of yeah, worked into the conversation here. So that's kind of where I see it going and why I see it, it happen in this way. It really, because again, you mm-hmm. get some really cool storylines. The juxtaposition of what Anne and Cochise had versus Pope and Anthony, I thought was really really well done. Yeah, one no, of the reasons I really liked excellent. the episode. I know it seemed like I just blabbed on for five minutes. I hope that was what you were looking for. That's exactly what I was looking for, because, you know, on on the one hand, I can I can see, especially from a storytelling perspective, why it makes sense to let Pope be unleashed right here. And I think a lot of like we're we're at season four and we have only six episodes left. So next week we're halfway through the final season and we are still in Savannah. Like you texted me today yeah. and I'm going, <laughs> we're, we're going to have an interesting discussion because you know, this yeah. is we're uh, we're four episodes in, we haven't left Savannah and we know where the largest concentration of Ishveni are now. And so why aren't we making our way toward that? Why aren't we doing more? And, and it seems like there's so much to do and yet, in retrospect from previous seasons, what ultimately has to happen in order for a conflict to be resolved is relatively small, like not in the amount of effort exerted, but in the amount of planning, you know, and I mean, okay, aside from maybe going to the moon, but, (laughs) (laughs) other, (laughs) but I mean, just like in, in terms of they know where they need to go and they're starting to get, this awareness of all of these other militias that are forming around the world. And as soon as you can get them all to concentrate and, and, you know, aim their weapons in the same place, it seems relatively unlikely that they're going to have to do more than just shoot their guns and maybe blow up something really big. You know what I mean? So like when, when we're saying, you know, why are they still in Savannah? I have a feeling and and this conversation that we just had about Pope really kind of lends to this is like this this whole the season is going to be just as much about finding reconciliation and and retaining your humanity in confrontation of that final battle. So as much as it is fighting off the aliens, you're also fighting off whatever dark force it is that's trying to come in and take over before you can actually complete your mission. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with with previous seasons, it, it seems like it, it takes so long for the season to get rolling and they're always just traveling or, you know, kind of squatting and, and doing recon. And that's exactly what we've got here. And we say that every season. But so I don't know. I just I just have this idea that, you know, they're heading toward D.C., but it's going to be a relatively contained resolution that they ultimately need to carry out. And so there are a lot of these 
underlying conflicts that have been building for the last four seasons that they finally have to really get a grasp on. And I, and I really, in that way, I really like your theory about Pope kind of just breaking down and realizing that he's wrong and, or maybe not wrong, but that he's got to retain his humanity over anything else. And, and even in contrast to what uh, Tom has embraced since coming back from the, or from the Dornia ship or whatever we, he was in, mm-hmm. you know, they, it's a, it's like you said, a very interesting juxtaposition. And now I just talked for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was, I mean, gosh, we got so many good conversations in this, uh, particularly when we're talking about this conflict between Pope and Tom. There were a couple of things when, when at the very beginning, the first shot that we got was Tom, you know, not, he didn't even apologize to, to, to Pope. And I, I kind of liked that. I mean, look, mm-hmm. he could have worked in an apology or at least said, I'm sorry, she's dead. I'm sorry you lost her, whatever. And he did, you know, he said that we all cared about her. We all wanted to have our our, our way of saying some nice words and grieving over her. You know, so in in that way, he honored and showed respect towards Sarah. I think Pope wanted an apology, not that that would have done any good. You know, so that was one conversation we had. We got the other conversation between Tom and Weaver, where Tom was basically saying, I, I'm sorry she's dead, but I'm not sorry that I, that I made the decision that I did. Mm-hmm. And, and Weaver said, don't, you didn't make the wrong decision. He says, I know I didn't make the wrong decision. So I thought that was good mm-hmm. to kind of see how they are working through. Cause we saw Tom conflicted with that at mm-hmm. the, near the end of last episode. So now we see he's kind of resolved it in his own mind. And then of course, the big showdown between the whole camp where Tom forces his hand and really makes him have to look like a fool. Which he is. And I loved what Hal had said, you know, prior to that to Pope. We, you know, what are you going to do? You're going right. to complain and then not do anything like you always do. And right. so Pope's like, well, in that case, you're right. I should do something bigger and better. I mean, that was kind of, <laughs> well, your was a very idea. <laughs> hopey thing to say, but oh, all yeah. these things really showed these great dynamics and, and different angles of what's going on. And, and, uh, I, th- I thought it was good writing, good acting, good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, Definitely. It's not it's not unique for the second mass, but I think in light of what we know is coming, it's going mm-hmm. to naturally make it different. And and probably that confrontation with Hal and with uh, <laughs> Tom and Weaver and Dingon going after some of that gas and whatever mm-hmm. nearby. There was something that let's see, Pope and Anthony are kind of up high on that scaffolding stuff and they're talking and taunting and all that taunting and all that and i don't know and this is i think uh i think mickey and okc kind of just pointed this out in the chat room Mm -hmm. but he says he can he can totally understand pope's rage uh tom has always protected his boys and what tom says later on in the episode when they finally have that confrontation i think is totally valid in that not only has he lost his daughter but i mean ben has spikes and Hal has had eye worms. Uh, Matt was stuck in an Ashveni concentration camp last season. So it's not like he hasn't confronted all of the possibilities of losing his sons. And, and all of his sons have been so willing to put themselves in harm's way. Mm-hmm. And every single time, Tom has never asked anyone to risk their lives for his boys 
like outside of their willingness to do so. He has always right. gone after them himself and he has always only taken those people who are willing to risk their lives, you know, and if they can't see that, it's, you know, it's, that's the PTSD talking, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, am I wrong there? Or, no, or the emotion or, or whatever. No, I think, right. I the think emotion. Tom is right. I mean, it's easy to second guess the leader. It's easy to second yes. guess some things when you're not making the decisions and hindsight is always 2020. And even if had, the, had they gone with plan B in some of those situations, there's no guarantee that plan B would have been any better. Right. So right. it's always easy to, to sit on the sidelines and offer up, uh, you know, dissent and, and harsh words and really just spread a cancerous attitude toward the camp, which was exactly what he was doing. I loved what Tom said to him when he's, you know, when Pope says, what would you have done if it would have been one of your sons instead of Sarah yes. stuck in that? And he says, I would have done exactly what I told you to do. I would not have given up our only mode of transportation. You're right. I would have dropped what I was doing to go save my child, but I would have done it on foot alone or found some other way to get mm-hmm. there. But I wouldn't have done anything differently to sacrifice the mission that we had to do. And you know what? After he said that, I'm like, that's right. That's exactly yeah. what Tom would have done. And he's done it before. Yeah. We, we kind of railed on him a little bit last week for saying that Tom would have done whatever he could to save his children. Yes, he would have. But, I think it's also fair to say that he would have also made sure that the mission went on as planned. Right. Like what about at the end of season three, when both Anne and Lexi are missing? Am I thinking about it right? And and they're taken by that, um, the, the farm of the family mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they left the second mass to go find their family. They didn't ask anyone to go with them. They didn't ask the whole camp to drop what they're doing and go find Anne and Lexi. They went after them themselves. <laughs> and right. so, and, and so, you know, in that moment, especially as a viewer, of course, that Tom, what Tom is saying is what he would actually have done. Whereas Pope just wants, just wants to cause dissent. Yeah. He's, he's upset and, he blames it all on Tom. I don't know. Do you, I mean, it's not like it's not like Pope is a natural leader by any means, but it, it's he it's like he wants that. But he doesn't. <laughs> he, he wants. You know what it is? It's like a, it's like an election. You know, it's like the incumbent having to stand up against the person running against him and having to, to defend all of the choices that he made during wartime, you know, and. Mm-hmm. And of course, the person who's attacking him is going to be like, well, look at what you did. Look at who got killed under your watch and look at how many men that we lost. And yeah, that's very true. But look at how many. Oh, I guess it's not as true in this situation, but look at how many people are still alive. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but you, look at what they're up against, too. Yeah. And, look and at what. Yeah. Who's that oh, guy? Those- He's that guy at work who sits in the break room and all he does is gripe about the leadership and how terrible the company is, but offers up no positive <laughs> solutions or, or, or doesn't see any of the good things that the company is. You know what I mean? It's just that oh, yeah. cancer, you know, and it's just like, well, shut up. <laughs> just go away already. Quit if you don't like it. You know, exactly. Which is exactly what Tom said. When I were you done. don't like it here. You know what? There's a path. You can right. take it. <laughs> um, I loved Hal's line. Have you forgotten that we've been invaded by hostile aliens? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My dad isn't responsible for every single death. And that was a very good point. But, yeah. you know, and, and so it's, it's good to see. Well, I like that they're drawing out the darkest side 
of humanity because it is it's a very real thing to have PTSD and this mm-hmm. is a very real thing to happen even when you aren't being invaded by hostile aliens. So I think the resolution to this is going to be a very pinnacle part of the overall resolution of this whole series. I mean, they've got to overcome. Well, they don't got to, but they've got to recognize their humanity that, that the grief and the happiness are essential components to being human. Yeah. And that's what I loved about the, the side story we had this week with the Volm and, I wish we'd had more of it. I, I although I think it was mm-hmm. probably the right amount. You know, mm-hmm. We hadn't seen the Cochise's dad, the Volm leader, uh, since season three, I think. And, and as far as on screen, mm-hmm. uh, I could be wrong on that. But uh, at any rate, the the conversations that we got between them, between uh, Cochise and his dad, between Cochise and Ben and Sarah, Sarah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And <laughs> <Anne? laughs> uh about humanity and uh mm-hmm. where the Volm leader I so we know his name. He's got a name besides Cochise's dad. I can't think of what it might be. I call be, him but. the general because it's like it starts with an F, but I, I can never remember it when pushing yeah. this show. So we'll call him the general. General F. So it, it, anyway, it was really good, right? And it and it Yeah. And it served again right along with the storyline reminding us of where we're at in the grieving process what we are as humans and that learning oftentimes comes from those we can we can learn valuable things is what i'm trying to say oftentimes from those we stand against or what we look down upon and in this case mm-hmm. you know the volm leader Captain F or General F <laughs> very much looks down on humans. He sees them as second class, sees mm-hmm. them as not even really worth his time. And yet Cochise is trying to tell him that what he has learned from the humans is, is something very powerful and worth bringing into their entire race as a way that they should operate and understand relationships. And I thought that was really powerful. Very powerful. It kind of, you know, goes to show what, well, it's, it's so interesting to see the contrast, especially from a culture who is just starting to understand the customs of another. And so in this case, as Cochise is starting to learn about what love is, he also, you know, has to naturally learn what grief is because that's what happens when you lose someone that you love. But also, love gives us hope in a way that nothing else does. And so for him to see his life as hope for these humans and to see that they are willing to do whatever it takes in order to save him and extend his life, mm-hmm. that is that is a hope for himself that he probably has never experienced before. And and being able to extend that <laughs> into his <laughs> to his father. Oh man, now I'm I have to I have to think about Oh, okay, so uh, the general says to Anne, it would better serve Volm battle plans if my son were to have a longer lifespan. <laughs> what a beautiful sentiment. <laughs> yes. It's poetic. <laughs> but yes, that's the reason you should save him. That's the only reason. That's yeah. the only reason. But, it, you know, it, it, the, he's, he's still thinking as a Volm, not as a human, but right. in the same way, he accepted what his son said, even if it was a justification for, uh, 
extended lifespan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's really cool. And I think you, you nailed it. It's just seeing, seeing two cultures feed off of each other. And that was really why I loved that scene between Anne and Cochise where they, they share that exchange of silence at the end. That was there. so good. Was that the f- favorite uh, scene that, of the series you're talking that about? That has got to be like my favorite scene of the series, just because it's like, this is what we kind of wanted to happen all along is for the humans to understand that everyone out there in the solar system is not evil, you know, and to be able mm-hmm. to connect with them on such a personal level that you can actually, you can actually, yeah, learn something from them. And so n- now in that scene, you get the Volm learning something from Anne and Anne learning something from Cochise and being able to share that in that same moment, experience something so similar and come to the same conclusion. So mm-hmm. it's like she's using their, uh, the Vol method of grief or, or not of grief. What would you call that? That's like pre death ritual or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a form of, of, of grief, of, but of, it's, it's different, right? I mean, right. It, yeah. Maybe the, the point is that we don't really have a term for it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the point. And, and so now that they're doing it in hindsight, she is sharing in something foreign to her while Cochise is trying to understand something foreign to him. And they have a shared experience that makes them more alike than, you know, I, I mean, that's, that's all it is really when you boil mm-hmm. it down. I don't know. I love that scene. And, and you know, it's, it was very powerful. It was very beautiful, very poetic, mm-hmm. very little dialogue, which I think was also shows how well it was conceived. Um, mm-hmm. it, didn't, it didn't need heavy dialogue. It didn't need explanation. Um, it was, it was directed great. It was obviously acted great. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very, it was my favorite scene of the episode by far. Mm-hmm. I liked quite a few of them. Um, I'm not sure where I'd put it in, in the series. Uh, it's, 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 it was a great scene. Beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. Powerful. I almost cried. I almost cried. Oh, you cried. have been like, Cochise, he cried. I know. Oh, that was perfectly timed as well. Yeah. But yeah. even, even like, like you just said, it didn't need a lot of dialogue. And so mm-hmm. when, when Cochise saw his father and when Anne saw Lexi, you didn't, you, you, you weren't going, whoa, were they back from the dead? No, mm-hmm. you, you understood what was going on. So yeah, yeah. totally beautiful. It was so weird. I didn't expect to see Lexi. I mean, when the camera started panning around, like it, like it had when 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 Anne turned into the Volm leader, and mm-hmm. then it it flipped and then started to turn. I'm like, oh, okay, we're gonna see Lexi. But okay. up to that point where the camera starts to pivot around, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it as a way to really balance out the scene. So, and I was glad I didn't because when yeah. I realized, it, I'm like. Oh, this is going to be great. And it was, it was yeah. really, really smart. And it was, yeah. it was great to see Scarlett Burn. Is it, isn't that right? Isn't that her name? I think so. Scarlett yeah. Burns. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so yeah, it was great to see her and she didn't have her weird white hair. It was her, I think her natural hair color, but anyway, it was cool. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Ah, good stuff. Yeah. All right. I'd like to go back to closer to the beginning of the episode because yeah. we skipped we went, over. We like dove right into the middle and the end of the episode. I don't I think, know. But that's okay. It, yeah. it, kind of, it was kind of all connected and this is more yeah. of a yeah. secondary storyline. But okay. So after Cochise tells them all that he's reached the conclusion of his lifespan, uh, <laughs> he, he gives them a box to give to Shaq and he's, yes. like, he says, okay, Shaq will know how to operate this. And so they, they pull it up and they're talking about all of the different 
operation, major operations of the Ashveni going on around the world. They can see something going on in Moscow, something going on in Tokyo, but by far the largest one is in D.C. So obviously mm-hmm. we know where we're going. Mm-hmm. But along the way, there's a naval base, which seems like it'll be key to restocking on weaponry. Mm-hmm. And then the Nazca lines are also mentioned. Do you know what the Nazca lines are? I was going to ask you to enlighten me on the Nazca lines because off the top of my head, I got nothing. Okay. Okay. So in order to explain the Nazca lines, I want to bring up the, uh, the communication that Dingan and Tom have with Professor Cecily in Inca, Peru. Mm-hmm. Do you re- so like there was it an ambulance they were in and speaking through the CB? I think it was like a SWAT team type of vehicle, a communication vehicle. What I took it as is that type of you know mobile headquarters communications vehicle that you would have in maybe a hostage situation or some sort of SWAT team situation. That's okay. what it looked like to me. Sure, but it that was makes shaped sense. like maybe an ambulance or that type of vehicle. Right. That, that's that's why it first came to mind, but it didn't look like an ambulance on the inside. So, <laughs> so when Professor Cecily starts stalking and Tom goes, oh, it's the queen, I'm like, come on, Tom. But, okay, <laughs> she says that she is in Inca, Peru with a SETI, S-E-T-I installation. And I don't, I don't, I, I did a little Googling on SETI and I, couldn't find anything so if anybody has any clues as to what that might be i am open to that but what struck me as interesting is that uh cecily is a is the english variation of cecilia from the latin word meaning blind and uh so it's historically connected to saint cecilia the uh let's see the patron saint of music and musicians but she is legendary for being sentenced to die after her refusal to worship roman gods and after they tried to put her to death through suffocation, which failed, they cut off her head. <laughs> oh, fun. And, yeah, I know. Lovely. Okay, so that's where my theory with this Nazca lines comes into place. So if you're unaware, Nazca lines are these series of lines and um, geoglyphs in Peru. Oh, yes. Okay. Right? Yes. That mm-hmm. are really only capable of being appreciated from the sky because they're just like these giant um chalkboard-like drawings of animals and long lines. And so, like, Tom, Tom references these lines because he says that, uh, you know, a theory is they were drawn there for aliens to come land because a lot of them kind of look like landing strips for someone or for an uh, ancient race to come uh down on but that i mean it's uh, those kinds of theories aren't very well uh accepted because the area where all of these lines are drawn aren't really built for any sort of landing vehicle mm-hmm. that we can conceive of so it's it's highly unlikely of course but at least in in this uh, in this context maybe not but there's so there are so many theories that go into why these nazca lines are there it's easy for them to understand how they got there, you know, and, and to conceive of this really intelligent race of people drawing them out, but why? So why mm-hmm. are these lines there? And a lot of the theories have to do with just basic culture, uh, and mostly that revolves around rituals. So uh, either uh, dancing and praying for rain, or um, a lot of them are human sacrifice rituals, but a, a lot of, or not a lot of them, but some of the glyphs are actually representative of decapitations. <laughs> hmm. And, and so you, you've got a lot of animals and a lot of, uh, just lines in this, in the, in the, 
what do they call it? Like a, it's a, like a red rock or iron oxide that they actually scraped away in order to make those lines stay for so long. But it's such a arid and dry and non-windy region that they can stay there for centuries. I think they were initially marked out in like 200 AD or something crazy like that. Okay. But, um, okay. So th- they've been around for a really long time. And basically what I was getting down to was that a lot of the theories about these rituals that they would have ends with somebody being decapitated in order to summon the gods or the gods of rain or whatever you have. So anyway, it's interesting that St. Cecilia is so legendary for having her head cut off after the refusal to worship the Roman gods <laughs> and that these Nazca lines also shared that sort of historical reference. And so I'm just wondering if, if we ever get to see this woman, she might have her head cut off. <laughs> That's going to be how she dies. Yeah. yeah. But I just, I, I thought it was fascinating that it's just like this one little line that Tom drops in and mm-hmm. it could mean absolutely nothing. We might never hear of Peru again <laughs> because I don't think Dingan ever got her back on the radio, but we at least know that they're down there. Or it could be something big where they actually turn these Nazca lines into something that the Ashveni left, you know, decades or not even decades, decades, centuries, centuries ago. ago. Yeah. Thank you. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, now that you, now that you mentioned what they are, I'm familiar with them, but yeah, okay. that's a cool theory. And it does seem weird that they would just throw the Nazca lines out there and not have any plan for bringing those back around unless it was just a bone to throw, you know, right. uh, alien, uh, conspiracy theorists, which I mean, I guess right. that, that would be a cool bone if you were, it seems like something that the X-Files would do. So maybe. Right. Well, and it's so it's such like an uncommonly held belief that they were actually left there by aliens or drawn for aliens that it's Mm -hmm. so weird that that would be the first thing he mentions. (laughs) But it's probably the first thing, you know, aliens that he's got aliens on the brain. So, yeah, it was cool to see him uh, ding on that is uh, spouting off all those different languages. We knew he had been around the world, but that was pretty cool. Right. But also forgetting to use English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think Funny. he started with that and then uh, went to others. But um, so they they need to go to Fayetteville and then on to Washington D.C. Now, last week when we were talking about Fayetteville, I was only thinking about Fayetteville, Arkansas. I mean, that's not too far from here. Um, you know, Arkansas is a bordering state, so that was naturally the one that came to mind. And I even said at some point, that's like halfway across the country and then back to D.C., but whatever. And then as I was editing the podcast later that night or the next day, I thought, you know, dummy, uh, there could be maybe <laughs> just more than one Fayetteville. And so I, I typed in Fayetteville and Fayetteville, Georgia came up uh-huh. and there's also a Fayetteville, North Carolina. Now North Carolina would be pretty much direct straight shot, not out of their way at all where Georgia would be a little bit out of their way, but not too much. So okay. that makes a lot more sense. Yes, we don't know absolutely. at this point, which one it is, if it's Georgia or North Carolina, but I wanted at least in case anyone out there was thinking about Fayetteville, Arkansas, like I was at least throw that out there that there are some <laughs> much better options than Fayetteville, Arkansas. Oh, interesting. Uh, X-Force 11, Jeff says, Fayetteville, North Carolina has a huge army base. And I think oh. that was, I thought, I thought, uh, Weaver said naval base, but he could have said army base. So maybe that's where they're well, that's planning on stopping. Well, I thought they mentioned uh, that one that was in Virginia. 
would be a, oh, a good place to start. Closer to. Up. Yeah. Uh, okay. That, that's what I was thinking. I can't think of which one it was now off the top of my head, but that's what I understood it. But I don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. Well, all of all they've been doing right now is just throwing out a bunch of, you know, terms and allusions to what's happening next. But we thought they were going to be out of this Chinatown two episodes ago. So yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit disheartening. Point. We're halfway through the season. Next week will be the halfway point, and we're, I guess, going to be finally leaving Savannah. So, you know, if you'd, if you'd have told me starting the season that it, it would be the halfway point before they even left Savannah, I would have been surprised. Um, really? Yeah. I mean, maybe not the best start of the season because I uh, certainly Washington, D.C. wasn't on our radar, but I would have thought they would have been much more on the offensive. I know they tried to early on, mm-hmm. but we've been kind of fighting these internal battles over the last couple of episodes. But, you know, I'm not going to complain too much because I still think it gives them enough time to do what they need to do. And... um uh, we've especially this episode we got this week had some really great character moments and some some storylines that were really powerful. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to complain. I don't think, but a little a little frustrated though. Yeah, but we say that every year. It seems like every year they're they're stuck in one place mm-hmm. until they're not anymore, and then they're stuck in another place. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. So, I and I think that's that that's the kind of the trade off we get in the show is that we get these incredible explorations into humanity mm-hmm. but at the same time there's not a whole lot of plot advancement maybe mm-hmm. is the way you say that yeah i mean the the main plot the main thing that's hanging over our, our group is finally eliminate the ishvini and you know restore take the take the first step to restoring humanity and so yeah. that's what that's what we're kind of hoping we'll, we'll get closer to every every yeah. week and we're making like micro steps toward that goal and you want to see big strides happening you know right um but you know what we did get some new resources this week they did find fuel they did find a smoking hot hot rod that was i love that, that scene so funny <laughs> Woo! <Woo-hoo>! Yeah. sweet <laughs> jesus <laughs> yeah that was hilarious. I love that. And that he, awesome. he, because they needed rescued, they just happened to need a quick getaway. So they had their excuse to take it back to camp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was good. Now, Ryan, poor Ryan. Poor but Ryan. Come on. Ryan the red shirt. You knew he was dead. Oh, the absolutely. moment you go, who? Oh, he's, he's not going to last. <laughs> right. Am I right? Ryan, you want to come with all of the main characters? <laughs> no. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to die, man. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy was a, was a clear red shirt from, from day one. And I got to tell you, after them being attacked by those bugs there at the, the police station, now we know why Tom got his last name. Mace. Uh-huh. Huh? Come on. I don't even know if that deserves a fake laugh. I thought it was pretty good. I even wrote it in the show notes. Tom Mace. And oh, that's what you were saying. Yes. We've I thought it was a dash. Wrong. We've been spelling it wrong all these years. We've been spelling it wrong. Yeah. That's his true legacy. <laughs> but I, I love that. I mean, it, it was it was great. Uh, you know, you knew that he was taking the mace or putting it into his pockets for some reason. And yeah, yeah, those bugs definitely have human eyes. Yeah, he put them in the pocket, and you knew they had to reemerge at some point. And uh, it was great. I didn't. I didn't know. I thought they would just 
reemerge maybe in another episode. I didn't think of him as as a, a gun that you know, like you see a gun on screen has to be used again. That was great. I saw it when he pulls him out. I was like, yes, good job. Fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, I'm just. It's a little funny that uh, Ryan walks up to the doors and he's like, something's running in here. And Tom's like, no, don't open that. How the heck did he know what was in there? I don't know. I have no idea. But it can't be a good sign if you open the door and you hear noises. Well, it's, it's never it sound, good. It, it could have sounded like a generator was running or something. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what Ryan thought. And mm-hmm. and it just like, I don't know. I did not buy that Tom knew there were bugs behind that door at all. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, he should have really ran up and was like, oh, I wonder what it is. Instead of being the oh, no, there's something dangerous behind there. But that's just... <laughs> I did think it was weird that they seemed to eat Ryan a whole lot faster than they ate Sarah. Well, there were a lot more of them, too. You think well, so? Well, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, let's talk about Pope and Anthony luring Anne in under the false pretense of wanting to make things right. <laughs> yeah. Did you see, did you see that coming when, oh, when Anthony... Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't see the the head shaving coming. That was very creepy. The the effect was greatly done there. Um, you know, my hope is that because Anne was really trying to be sweet to Anthony and not not sweet for the sake of being sweet, but you could tell that she really does care about him. She didn't take oh, away yeah. his gun because she didn't like him or because she thought he was anything but other other than it was just the it was the right decision for him and for everybody else and i think that she revealed that in that little short conversation that they had mm-hmm. down the hallway and mm-hmm. that's the conversation that i point back to for my theory that i threw out there where anthony is going to snap into reality and go if i've got to choose between a life being lost but if it comes down to it like you know pope or or tom Anthony's going to be the one to save Tom, and it and it very well may come at the expense of Pope losing his life. And mm-hmm. I think that that conversation, I'm hoping, is going to be one reason why. Yeah, that'll eventually sink in, mm-hmm. and he'll he'll right because it's like when when you follow someone like Pope, it's because you're filled with rage and you want someone to validate that rage. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when but when you stop and think about your life. Would you rather be following someone like Pope, who is always going to make your life hell? Or would you like to follow someone like Tom, who is striving to eliminate the enemy? Yeah, like and, Anne and said Anne to Pope, what's your legacy going to be? Right. That's such a good line. That's a and, great question. <laughs> you know, Anthony, she just walks by Anthony. He didn't step in. Anthony's a follower, you know? Yep. Pope is mm-hmm. leading right now, and, and, and he's leading Anthony. So I think if if Anthony realizes there is a better hill to die on, there's a better cause to follow, then he'll do that. Right now, you're right. He he wanted mm-hmm. somebody to empathize with him and to to to, to you know misery loves company. You know, right? Validate and, uh, his rage. Yes, but I th- I think that that's a temporary thing for 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 Anthony. Maybe Pope. I think you 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 laid out some some good arguments earlier about Pope, but that's kind of where I see Anthony. What about you? I mean, yeah. what was your take when when did you see the the trap coming? What were your thoughts when you saw Pope and him shaving his head? I honestly like I at that moment I said if they kill Anne, I might stop watching. <laughs> and I think I <laughs> I think I've said that before on this podcast because 
it doesn't make any sense to me to kill off pretty much the only woman on this show because there was no Maggie in this episode at all. I know, right? I didn't even realize until I was thinking about the episode later and I'm like, wait a minute. There was no Maggie. Maggie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But so like I I saw it coming the moment Anthony came up to her and was like, can we talk? Mm -hmm. I want to share my feelings. Oh, I'm so good. I'm so glad you want to, you want to talk. Of course we can talk, Anthony. Which is exactly what any woman would do in her situation. Oh, good. We can clear the air. Yes. You know, so I totally would have been suckered into that as well. Well, and as his doctor, and like I said, she really genuinely cares about him. It was, it was completely believable. I think that she probably should have been, had a little bit more foresight to see a possible trap. Right. But, as yeah. soon as as soon as he started leading her into the basement of wherever it was that they were, <laughs> that should yeah. have been a clue. Yeah. Okay. There should be, you know. And she's like, and he he opens the door and says, "After you." And, yeah. and she's like, "Oh, okay." okay. <laughs> just walk right in. Here. We both just do the little happy walk at the same we time. Just <laughs> totally just did. <laughs> See a live See? show. You're missing live out. Show. You missed it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I actually, I was so so relieved that Anne took the route that she did instead of trying to plead for her life or something else mm-hmm. you know she she took the opportunity to call pope out on all his crap like you said you know what what is what is the legacy that you're going to leave behind tom tom doesn't care if i die he all he cares about is ridding the world of the this eh, hostile enemy and and whether or not she actually i see you have written here whether uh, I think Anne actually believes that. Is this what you're referring to? Yeah. Do you think that she believes that Tom doesn't care about his life or Anne's life? The only thing he cares about is is getting the world back for his sons and his legacy. Do you, do you think that that's true? And do you think that she really believes that? Or was that just something that she was trying to use as a tool to get herself out of that situation? Well, I think whenever people say that they don't, they don't care if they lose their life. It's it's a little bit of a misnomer just because as humans, our natural instinct is self-preservation. And so mm-hmm. it's it's natural to want to save your own life. But I think when it comes down to it, they have fully invested in the cause. And because and because they love the people that they're fighting with and and want this world to survive, they can imagine a world without the people they love so that the world can continue on, which is something that Pope does not have. Mm-hmm. And so, insofar as that is true, I believe she believes what she's saying. Okay. I, but, I will agree with that 100%. Okay. So, not not that she doesn't think that Tom loves her, but just that he sees the bigger picture. Like, last week, I, I gave that analogy about the, the father who has to make the decision between his son and the, the train. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's the same kind of thing. Is like, you understand what you are giving up. The question isn't about what you're sacrificing. It's about what you're getting in return. The greater good. Huh? The greater good. The greater good. Who do you yeah. sacrifice for the greater good? And but but when when Pope says it, it sounds facetious. And when Tom says it, you know he means it. So when Pope is all like, who's gonna be the next to be sacrificed for the greater good? Well, you're all pretty much the sacrifice for the greater good. Anybody could be the sacrifice. Yeah. But but the point isn't that uh, the point should be that you walk headfirst into that sacrifice, not be, you know, thrown in the way of it. Right. That's right. And that's what he's yeah. essentially doing. I don't know that I agree with her tagging on the part about Tom 
only caring about his legacy. I don't think that that's a factor really at yeah. all with Tom. I think he is going to have a legacy. Look, we talked about the Mason, Mason militias last week, but I don't think that he makes decisions based on what kind of legacy he's in, unless it's the legacy that he'll have through the lives of his children. But in uh-huh. terms of what will be written in the history books, that type of legacy, I, and I, Mm-hmm. I think he's intrigued by that because of his his professor history history professor background. But I don't think that he's motivated by that. What do you think? No, absolutely. And I and I had the same question as she was saying it. You know, during my first watch live, I'm going, I he doesn't just care about his legacy. But then I went through the same kind of okay, what does that actually mean in this context? And I think you kind of hit on it. And it's not that he it's not that he wants people to remember him. It's that he wants those who come after him to endure. And that's kind of what a legacy is, right? You know, Mm -hmm. like when when you have a family legacy, you, you have something that endures on through the generations. And, and that's something that you want because you understand the value of it now and you want it to be passed on to each generation. And, and I don't know if she can actually, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe she could have thought about it critically enough to be able to say something like that in that context. But so does using a word like legacy with its with its true in meaning like we just talked about is that another clue that Tom is is not going to make it through the series alive? <laughs> <laughs> I I would believe so. Oh, okay. I don't I don't I don't think that Pope will kill him. Right. He'll I, go I, out a I hero, mean, not a yeah, victim. If if any of the Masons die, it's not going to be until the very last episode. That's just yeah. my theory. Uh, what about Ben? Ben could go out next week, don't you think? He's disposable. He's he's really not adding any value to the show. I'm not even going to deign that with a response. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm just okay, trying me, to get you prepared for what Barb has to say. Well, okay. So, I mean, I, w- I would be more worried about Hal right now than Ben. Yeah, yeah. Although we're not worried about him either, are we? Well, I guess I take it back. I think if any of the Mason kids were to die, it could be done before the finale. But if Tom dies, it won't be until the finale. Okay. Maybe. I think all the Masons make it through to the finale. I don't know okay. yet. I'm just how saying many like will make it beyond. If if any of them were to die, it would be the boys before yeah. Tom. Yeah. Right. I agree. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Are we ready to talk about the Dornia? Let's or do, you do have it. Something else Let's on your it. plate. Okay. So this was really interesting, and I and I was really glad that Tom forced the Dornia to to kind of really more reveal their personality behind Rebecca because I'm sitting there going, "You can't just give in to this hallucination. You know that it isn't true anymore, and you know who these creatures are. So just acknowledge that because it's so awkward to see him." You know, holding her hand and, and when, when I'm thinking there's like a alien creature beneath her and he's going to kiss her and it's going to be disgusting. And <laughs> <laughs> so I was really glad that he said, just, just talk to me as you are. Mm-hmm. And I love what this, this was one of the most interesting conversations of the entire episode, but the Dornia say to him, we cannot exist in the same state of matter together or we would die. Is that right? Is it or we would die or or you would die? I can't remember. I, I meant to go back. Okay, sure. I'm pretty sure they said or we would die. And because it because it made me think immediately after if 
if it actually means that they're not actually alive. Mm-hmm. Either they're projections or they're coming to them from the beyond. Yeah. <laughs> or they're just, they're in a parallel universe or something, you know, uh, another state of reality, another dimension. Did you have any initial thoughts or reactions to that comment that they made? No, other than I thought, really, are we, are we going to add all these, all these options that you just mentioned? Another plane of consciousness, another universe, another, are they just a consciousness speaking telepathically? I just thought it overly complicated things, you know? Last week we talked about, was there really a need to make the Dornia extinct? I mean, it adds a cool factor to it, but was it really necessary? And now it seems like we've just further complicated it here with this. So it may, it may resolve itself beautifully and awesomely. And, and mm-hmm. I'll go, yeah, that's great. I didn't see it coming. So right now I'm just kind of going, ah, is this, I think this is a little overly complicated and it doesn't need to be. So that's kind hmm. of my response. That's interesting because I thought it was something that I could really connect with in a way. Just mm-hmm. like, oh, cause I, the the first thing that came to my mind was the footprints in the sand analogy. Mm-hmm. I assume you're familiar with this. Mm-hmm. I'll just briefly explain it to anybody who doesn't know, but it's it's essentially saying that in throughout the course of life, you and God have parallel footprints in the sand, and then at some points, there's only one set of footprints in the sand, and and the idea is that you turn to God and say, why weren't you here with me during this hard part of my life? And God says, well, those were the parts that I was carrying you, because there's only one set of footprints. So, the way I saw it, or the the way I kind of see, okay, and this also ties into the Twitter question, uh, Twitter poll question, but, you know, what kind of help can the Dornia actually provide to Tom? Because if they can't be in the same state of matter as him, then what is their p- purpose? Well, the way that I understand God is that he exists outside of time, that he created time in the construct of creating the universe. And so... In that way, he is able to provide me, us, with help that really just extends beyond our realm of existence, our our plane of existence. And so that kind of, it kind of just parallels what's going on here because it seems, it seems like they are able to anticipate things that are to come or anticipate everything that's going on simultaneously. I don't know which one is more correct, like if they can actually see into the future, if they have premonitions. Well, okay, so like the Woodrow Wilson thing, how in the world did they know that if they didn't know something in the future, you know? And so it's almost like they're existing in this in this realm where they can see more happening than what is presently going on. Mm-hmm. And, and so like I was able to connect with it on that level and see that they're almost able to provide the second mass with the type of help that God would provide to me, you know, like if I'm praying and saying, I just, I just need a little bit of wisdom here in order to understand a decision that I'm supposed to make. And they're, I mean, they're not praying to the Dornia, but, but it's like the Dornia are appearing to them in these visions or appearing to Tom in these visions that only he can interpret and only he can really understand in context. So, yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting explanation. I, I didn't get that in the least, but, um, I, I definitely can see your parallels that you're you're drawing there. Um, okay. Yeah. I wasn't and, sure if it was too like I don't know. Was that really out of left field, or does it kind of make? No, I mean sense? it makes sense in in especially in the sense that what 
like you said in the Twitter poll question, what can the Dornia offer for help if not their physical strength and weaponry, right? Right. And so with that in mind, I think your explanation or your analogy is a better word um, is, is pretty interesting. And, and I think time will tell. And I mean, hopefully we don't have this conversation when we're talking about the finale, right? Hopefully we're not right. going, not really sure what the Dornia was or what their purpose <laughs> was. So hopefully we'll get this one answered. But I think that your analogy and your thought process is, is very, very good and intriguing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it also just, it's interesting to see what they're going to do with it. You know, if, mm-hmm. if, if they can't exist in the same state of matter together, whether that means in, in the flesh or actually in the same dimension, you know, I, I hope that they're able to tie that in in a satisfactory way and not just like, they're like God and exist, you know, when everything dies, everything exists simultaneously and can connect with people from the beyond. Like, that that would not be a satisfactory answer to me. It's It's got to be something very science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, not supernatural as much as science right. fiction. Right, thank yeah. you, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, such a good episode. I, I think that uh, it looks like we're finally going to get out of Savannah next week. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Tom and Pope and Hal and Anthony. That I think that storyline for next week has me more intrigued than anything else. And I loved kind of the parting words that Tom received from Weaver. Such a great ending to the episode as he's warning, you know, Tom about the way people change and their emotions and the way they think. I don't know exactly what the quote was. I wish I had written it down. Mm-hmm. And Tom's like, I know, I know I can't trust him or, or whatever. And he, and Weaver says, I'm not talking about him. We've, we've been talking about this all season, right? About mm-hmm. the change in Tom and the mental switch that has been flipped. And I thought once again, it was just great words of wisdom from Dan Weaver. And he's delivered some of the best words of wisdom it always does, but this season, I just think every every episode, he's got one or two points where you're just like, man, he's that really wise uncle that everybody needs, you know, because mm-hmm. you you're not going to listen to your parents or you're not going to listen to yourself. You just need that that wise guy in the in the good sense of the word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think they've really switched roles in a lot yeah, of ways. They have, yeah. But I've really liked seeing this more contemplative side of Weaver come out. Yeah, I enjoyed that last scene too. And so we pretty much end the episode with a scene between a kidnapped Hal and Pope. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom realizes after uh, his conversation with Adornia that Hal has been taken and Pope intends to kill Hal in front of his father before finally finishing off Tom. Yeah. Yeah. That well, we know that's not going to happen. But nope. what will happen? Tune in next week. Same <laughs> Falling Skies time. Same channel. But a All different right. state of matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you say we do some feedback? Let's do it. Should we start with Becky? Let's do Becky. All right. Oh, my Becky gosh, this- Becky. Look at that alien's butt. It is so big. Sorry. Where I, did that come from? I, I heard the name Becky, and that was the first thing that came to mind. Wow. I'm sorry, Becky. <laughs> I'm going to apologize for Daryl right now. <laughs> no, I um, I, th- I don't think we've heard from Becky before, but this came in early this week. So well before the uh, new episode aired. And so this has to do with last week's, I believe. Uh, she says, hi, Daryl and Emily. I listened to your podcast yesterday. I have to be honest. I was a little afraid you would be 
a little too gleeful that Sarah was dead. I really, I was relieved that was not the case because Pope is my favorite character on the show and really liked Pope and Sarah together. I know some people found Sarah annoying, but I thought they were sweet together. Although Pope is my favorite character, I also really like Tom, so I'm dreading the upcoming episodes of the show because Pope is in a very dark place and blames Tom for Sarah's death. I think Pope will feel like he has nothing to lose and will seek revenge against Tom. Okay, first of all, Becky, thank you for writing in and saying that you really like Pope and Sarah together because, Mm -hmm. you know, as we've been saying, we know that we're not in the majority here. And so it is really, really relieving to me, at least, to know that they are a likable character. So thank you for that. And I'm being completely sincere. (laughs) Uh, But also, you make a very good, um, very good observation. Just, you know, because Pope is in a very dark place. We're going to lose two of our favorite characters because Pope, whether we, you know, he's the character sometimes we love to hate or in Becky's case, just love to love. (laughs) And, and that, and that's totally awesome. But, um, I think Pope is, you, you nailed it. Becky Pope doesn't, or feels like he has nothing to lose right at this point. He only has something to gain, which is the revenge on Tom. So, yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you sent that in, Becky, and we want to hear from you again for sure. Absolutely. All right, this one comes in from Gannon. Gannon says, wow, 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 what a beautiful and dramatic episode. Even though the title of the episode is Pope Breaks Bad, the episode to me was about Cochise and much deserved. Uh, I'll get all the other things out of the way. Pope versus Mason finally coming to a head is cool, But frankly, I was so overtaken by Cochise's storyline that I frankly didn't care, LOL. (laughs) Next episode seems to be devoted entirely to that topic, so next week, maybe my head will be more into it. I think Pope is done next episode. I just don't see him making it out of it unless he disappears for a while. Now on to Cochise. This was a much-deserved episode for him and the Volm. When Cochise revealed he had reached the end of his life, I truly believed this was it for Cochise. The scene between Cochise and his father arguing about humanity was great. Seeing his father go through an arc and in the end sacrificing himself for his son's life was truly touching. The surgery was very edge-of-the-seat driven and I couldn't help but shed a tear as Cochise did as well. As his father passed, I felt for Cochise so much. Not only has he lost his home planet, I'm sure countless friends, but his brother and now his father. If there is one character that deserves a happy ending, it's Cochise. And finally the moment, exchange of silence. Absolutely beautiful. Of all the deaths in the series that have affected me or dramatic scenes, this moment takes the cake. No dialogue, just the looks and music Totally evoked the scene. Uh, so touching, and for Anne as well to have that final goodbye with Lexi was much needed. Overall, I give the episode an 8 out of 10 silent Volm goodbyes. While it didn't push the story forward much, this was an episode that needed to happen for quite some time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I don't know what to add to that. I think I think we are all in the same boat with that. Um did you think that Cochise, that we were seeing the end of the storyline for Cochise at first? Um, no. I think, and, and it might have had to do with just the the 
circumstance that it was all brought up, it was so abrupt and everything mm-hmm. that it was like, oh, well, Anne isn't going to let this happen. But <laughs> um, no, I, I didn't really feel for Cochise at all. I, okay. I figured they would do something. But I mean, the threat is there and it was just cool to see the the second mass rally around him. And because uh, just like Gannon said, you know, Cochise has lost so many people now, his home planet, countless mm-hmm. friends, brother, father. But he has also gained a family, and he said that, you know, as he was going into stasis, you know, I have adopted one custom. I do love you all. Mm-hmm. And so he, in spite of it all, he has found a family in the human race. So it's it's cool to see that um, he's not alone, and yeah. that might not have happened otherwise. So what do you think? You know, I had kind of forgotten just how much Cochise had lost. I mean, I hadn't forgotten that they had lost their home planet, but I hadn't really thought about it. And as far as the other family that he had lost, I hadn't, I, for, I mean, his brother, I had forgotten completely about that. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what happens at the end of this, when the Ishvini are eradicated, does, does Cochise and maybe even the rest of the Volm stay behind on earth and try to help make a life there? Or I think, I think Cochise does, but I don't know about the rest of the Volm, but what, what do you think? What, what happens? Well, I do remember that at the beginning of of last season, the Volm, the uh, Cochise told Tom that the Volm had to leave Earth in order to go protect wherever they were hiding all of their younglings or whatever. Right. So right. we know that they're they're trying to sustain their race somewhere. But I think whether or not they go, they the Volm leave the planet for good will largely depend on what the re- resolution of the Ashveni war is. You know, if if there's if all they do is drive the Ashveni away, I could see them staying in order to team up with the humans in order to just defend the planet. Mm-hmm. But if the Ashveni are completely eradicated, I could see them feeling safe enough to go off and start to be fruitful and multiply again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, then we got an email from Justina. She says, hi, Daryl and Emily. Why does everybody always say your name first? Gosh. Alphabetical order. Alphabetical order. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hi, Daryl and Emily. The historical reference that came to mind this week was United We Stand and Divided We Fall. Even though Pope uh, does not have a lot of people following him, the second mass is so small it can't survive the loss. I understand Pope's point of view, but Tom has had to make many hard decisions, and sometimes Tom only had impossible choices to make where none of the options were easy. Crazy theory. The Dornia said that they don't exist on the same plane, which implies parallel universe. So what if, as a reward for helping win the war against Eshveni, the Dornia will move all the survivors to a parallel Earth where the aliens never came? That would make Anne talking about waking up and everyone that was dead was alive again could be foreshadowing. Uh, Doug Jones' performance was awesome in this episode. I felt so much emotion from his acting. I give this episode 9 out of 10 cans of mace. Have a great week, Justina. You mean cans of mace, son. <laughs> oh, but um bum What do you think about her theory? I, I jumped in and asked you before you had a chance to ask me. <laughs> I wanted to ask you. <laughs> you read. I mean, it was your right to ask me first, but I jumped in. Sorry. Well, I think I've already. Well, I guess I haven't said what I think about this theory. I've talked about parallel universes. It. It's cert. I mean, that would be crazy. 
And I think it's a little inconsistent with the show, but hey, I mean, we're, we've had alien babies on the show and hybrid humans, so <laughs> what, what what's a parallel universe to add to that? Yeah, you know, I, I'm thinking back to about this time in the lifespan of Fringe. Uh, we got five seasons oh my with gosh, Fringe, that's a good point. <laughs> and now it was more episodes. But and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Fringe, but it was about this time where we're trying to figure out how does this story going to end? What does what does a happy conclusion look like? And there was a debate over a, a, a reset of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I remember when that when the idea first came about, most of us were like, "No, that will be cheap. It won't be earned. It won't. It won't be real." But then, when things happened and there was a reset of sorts, I don't know many people. I mean, it's very, very few that didn't go. Oh yeah, that was that, that was a great sense. ending. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So my first gut when Justina. Th- when I, re- when I read it, cause I hadn't read it until just now. Okay. Um, my, my first gut instinct was no, this is, it, it, it would cheapen it. You can't just reset everything that happened mm-hmm. or give them a new parallel universe where all their loved ones are there. Um, because of all that they fought for. Um, but, but then I, I think there's a, a realm of possibility where you go, yeah, maybe they could do it in a way that it, it feels that okay. That makes sense. You know? The, the thing though is, if if you reset things or give them a new a parallel universe where all their loved ones are still there, that sounds great. But if you take me from war hardened Earth to parallel universe where I didn't have to fight that war, but I still mm-hmm. have all the memories of that war, that's that you know something does not compute. You can't just insert me into that former reality and and expect the same whatever it was before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's really I, a point. I don't know how that works out. That's got to be explained and in French. It was. Right. So we'll see. We'll see. Hmm. hmm. That would, that's, it's a really interesting theory and, I, and it's really not that far out there in comparison yeah. to everything else that we've seen on this show. I, I can't help but think that a parallel universe has something to do with this in some way, though, just because mm-hmm. they said state of matter. So whether that means dimension or, or what. But interesting. Very interesting, mm-hmm. Justina. Thank you yep. for that. Indeed. All right. Well, we have one more feedback, and this is an audio feedback from Barb. Hey, Emily and Daryl. This is Barb calling in with feedback on this week's Falling Skies Epi, Pope Breaks Bad. I'll give this Epi 8.5 volume tears. I think the Epi did a nice job delivering some great dialogue and tying up some emotional threads while setting us up for the human showdown and resolution before the final Asfini battle. Here are a few random thoughts and observations. We saw how Cochise has learned emotion from the humans, by whose side he has been fighting for the past several years. If he teaches his people about the will to survive, caring for others, and hope for the future, he'll make the universe a better place. These groups may be coexisting in a new world in the future, and I think it's important for them to learn how to live together and take the best parts of the Volms and the humans to rebuild. Anne began to heal as she shared one of the Volms' practices with Cochise, the importance of sharing memories in those final moments with someone when they are dying. In the Volm's unemotional way, this allowed them to show caring in the importance of a person's life, allowing the survivor to move on. And saw Lexi and finally realized that even in the middle of this war, she needed to grieve and to say goodbye. Weaver reminded Tom that war could make people do things they normally don't do. 
after reminding him earlier that a soldier doesn't blink until the battle is won. And that is exactly what has been happening. Anne and Anthony fought side by side in Anne's quest to find Lexi, and Anthony has abandoned all that to follow Pope. Pope has not reverted to his old self after losing Sarah. He's become a man who doesn't care whether or not he lives or dies. He hasn't grieved. He wants vengeance. And he has pushed Tom's main button. Tom's son and Hal, Tom's firstborn at that. Both men are positioned to make huge mistakes. I think Pope will blink first. Don't worry, Emily. Hal will live through this. Pope, from a path to redemption to a path of complete destruction. I will be disappointed if it ends that way for Pope. He came so far. I'm hoping that after he and Tom have their confrontation, that he and his new berserkers will support the team in Washington, D.C. for the final battle, and he may die doing it. That would be redemption. Reciting all the names of the people who had been lost was a good reminder of how devastating the losses have been and how much the second mass has lost and why it is so important to hang on for the win and not blink. I think the real hint for the epi was Cochise's father's sacrifice for his son. Even if he didn't intend to die, he risked his life for his son and made the ultimate sacrifice. Are the writers telling us that Tom will be doing the same? It sure seems to be pointing that way with every passing epi. Daryl will probably be right. That's it for this week. This is Barb signing out and thinking a few cans of mace might just come in handy. Where to start with this? Um, Did we talk much about all the names being listed off of all the fallen? I thought that was incredibly cool and in a way to honor all those actors, even in a sense, that have come and made this show so wonderful over the years. Oh, are we talking about when um, Anthony is asking Hal about all the people that Tom is responsible for? Yeah, oh, no, no, it was, it was Pope. I it think Pope. it was Pope that started mentioning all the people that had died because of Tom Mason. But, sure. But it reminded us of, of not only the losses that they've had, but, you know, for me, I was like, oh, man, you know, because we were so big, big fans of so many of those characters that we've lost mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah, especially Tector. I know. Love Tector. Yeah, Miss Tector. <sighs> no, that was good. The foreshadowing possibly of Cochise's father sacrificing himself for his son and possibly that indicating Tom to do the same for one of his. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, that's absolutely a scenario that I think any of us could look at and go, yep, I could see that happening. Um mm-hmm. It also points back to that legacy thing. If if Tom's legacy that he has in mind, which I think we agreed on, was the future that his kids will have, uh-huh. then of course that that's he'll do anything. We know that he'll do anything for his kids. He'll he'll sacrifice himself easily without any hesitation or second thought. So yeah, that, that could happen. I mean, I did make the prediction. I think at the season premiere that Tom would would die before the end of the season, probably in the finale. And, you know, I don't hope that I'm right for the sake of being right. I, if, if I am right, I hope that it, it is uh, because of some sort of heroic, yeah, you know, and even Pope, I mean, she talked about Pope dying mm. and, and it, how tragic it would be if he dies this way. And I, I agree with that because Completely of all the stuff you started this episode out with, when we've seen him come so far, if he, if he goes out like this in a, in a lot of ways, it, it will be disappointing, but 
you know, this is a tough life that they're leaving. I mean, Tom could get killed next week, and will we be disappointed? Well, sure we will be, but does that does, does that seem far-fetched from this world that they're living in? No, not at all. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Pope no, could have pulled point. that trigger in this episode, and we would have gone... Yeah, oh, it's all going. You know, we don't always get oh, what man. we want as fans because the show does need to have, you know, some sort of true to itself type of reality. When Falling Skies is all over, um, how it should have ended is going to put out a, a video of Tom or of Pope killing Tom in like season <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, no, just kidding. All right. Well, good All feedback. Right. We would love to hear from you yes. next week as we reach the halfway point in this final season of Falling Skies. You can send in your feedback by calling 304-837-2278 or head over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. There you can upload an audio file or typey typey out a contribution or use the speak pipe widget. All kinds of ways to send in your feedback. We would love to hear from you. Deadline is 6 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Now, are you ready for some Twitter? Now, let's do the Twitter. All right. So like I mentioned earlier, uh, the Twitter poll question was, how do the Dornia intend to help Tom? And I think I phrased it in a couple of ways. So like, what type of help do you think the Dornia want to provide to him? What do you think they intend to help him with? But we got a few responses here. Uh, let's see. We got um, Barb, of course, who says, I think they'd like to get like him enough help to destroy the Ashveni so they can repopulate and take over, but they can't. Interesting. Okay. Then we've got uh, Ian Knight, a.k.a. Zort70, says, uh, given their mode of communication, it can only be helped by sharing experiences and what they have tried before. <laughs> uh, he also mentions that he loved Pope's Gollum impression and almost thought he was going to talk about the precious in the opening scene. <laughs> Funny. Nice. Then uh, we have Justina, who says the Ashveni uh, is very distracting, attacking, attacking from multiple sides. The Dornia will help by focusing Tom with their messages. And that's all I see. That's all I see. I think X-Force 11 answered last week's question. Oh, I yeah. think you're right. He, he said Pope, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, if you want to... Uh, Chime in on the BC Twit question every week. We try to post that on Monday mornings following a new episode, hashtag BC Twit. Uh, that's coming from our Golden Spiral Media account at GSM Podcasts. And yeah, so you can just reply with the hashtag BC Twit and we will read it on the air with the rest of them. Indeed. And if you want to join us for the live show, you are invited. And it's it's just real easy. GoldenSpiralMedia.com slash live. And we do that every Tuesday at 8 o'clock Eastern. GoldenSpiralMedia.com slash live. And if you're you here early us. enough, you get to hear my vocal warm-ups, which are yeah. incredibly enlightening. They're about as entertaining as randomly exploding pirate ships. So really entertaining is what you're saying. I get <laughs> I'm it. Saying I totally totally get it. ridiculous <laughs> is what I'm saying. Ridiculously awesome fun. Yeah, that's that's all that we do here. You know, it's been a long time. That may be the first pirates joke I've thrown at you all season. I'm falling down so. on my game. <laughs> uh, 
You only have one. <laughs> <laughs> only one that gets you instantly that, that, that causes this. So this, that's this all I reaction? need. That's okay. all I need. I don't need more. All right. Well, thanks for tuning into this episode of Berserker Cast. It has been a whole lot of fun uh, talking. Next week, we will be talking about Season 5, Episode 5, entitled... Non-Essential Personnel. Hmm. Dun, dun, dun. What does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> I could take that any number of ways. So I know. Tune in for that and tune in for this. We'll be back next week. I hope that you'll join us. And until then... I'll be existing in another state of matter, so I don't want to die. Oh, that's good. But if you do, I might just give you one of my kidneys. <laughs>